I believe this coming year for our church is an absolutely crossroads year. The elders and I prayed about that yesterday. This year is a crossroads for our church. There have got to be some opportunities that we have got to grab hold of. We have got to move into by faith. We have got to move through and keep going that we haven't done at this church since I started 13 years ago. This is an incredible opportunity that God's given us, but we have to prepare our hearts, prepare ourselves. We've been doing that for a year, and now it's time to step forward. But before we take that first step, the big step, I just want to take today this message and do a, a final, as it might mean, systems check. Okay? Um, I've never preached from the book of Revelation, and there's a good reason why. It's not an easy book to preach from. Most of the book is apocalyptic. It, it, the whole book is apocalyptic. Most of the language is very symbolic. I did choose, because of how I felt what God wanted me to say as we launch into this year, the particular passage that is not apocalyptic and all of the symbolic. It's very specific. It's very concrete. And it's also historically based in the first chapters of Revelation. So as we go into reading our passage, I ask you to pray with me that God would move our minds right now and our hearts to receive what he wants you to receive as he wants what my own heart to receive that we would lay it before him right now. We would do that together. That his word is powerful and effective and it reaches the deepest crevices of our souls. If you have God's word, you can turn to Revelation chapter 2. The text is also there in your worship bulletin. Verses 1 through 7. Listen as I read the words of Christ. And to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered, have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father, your very words you spoke to the church in Ephesus are just as much effective and real for your church at Christ Community. 
for the church, your bride, that you have called us to be yours. Father, right now, by your Holy Spirit, powerfully in your presence, speak your truth. Fill our minds and our hearts with the very thoughts, the desires, the inclinations, the convictions, the enlightenments, the understandings, the remembrances that only you desire for us to receive. Cast everything else out of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Though I started dating my wife as a junior in high school, I've been married 25 years, and she knows this, she wasn't the first. I was in first grade, seven years old, and walking after school was over, we walked out down the long outside kind of walkway next to the school for carpool line for mom to, moms to pick us up. All day long that particular day in first grade, everyone was ribbing me and talking to me about this girl that I kind of was, as I guess Andy Griffith would say, sweet on. I was kind of sweet on this girl. And her name was, I'll never forget her name, Francine. Francine had long brown hair, big brown eyes with eyelashes just sparkled in the sunlight. She always seemed to dress in a very just sweet way. She had a demeanor about her. She was kind of quiet, but just something about her. I don't know. So everyone knew I was kind of sweet on They kept ribbing and said, you got to kiss her, Mike. You got to kiss her, Mike. You know, as a little first grader, I'm like, what? You got to. And so I felt this huge pressure that I had to at least, you know, give her a peck on the cheek or something. So we're walking down, and so she comes up next to me as we're walking in carpool line. I didn't know she was going to be there. And so I know everybody's watching. And so I somehow got up this crazy idea. I'm just going to give her a peck on the cheek and run. And so I kind of tried to lean over, but then turned, and who do you think I saw sitting right in the car? My mom looking right at me. And so I just kind of mm, moved away and kept going on and got in the car and never talked about it with my mom as far as what that whole experience was about. But you know, you think back in your life and all of us may have an experience, whatever age, however innocent it might have been of what is called maybe first love or all those types of things. Today, Jesus is talking to this church in Ephesus about something so vitally important. He's talking to them about their first love, their first love. As I said, much of this book, the whole book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature, and it speaks about the future, talks about what will be. However, this section of Revelation is more narrative and historical with seven very real but different churches that Jesus Christ addresses in the first century during the time of the apostles. 
and the establishment of the New Testament church. Some quick background, John the Apostle, who of course writing this down, giving this vision, this understanding, has been exiled to the island of Patmos. He is being basically punished for his faith. He's being placed outside in exile by Domitian. And he's there, and God gives him these visions, these truths. And the Apostle John receives the revelation from Christ to seven historically real churches in the Asia Minor region, as John had been part of those church planting experiences. In the Asia region, there are already at this time 10 churches, not just seven, that have been established at that time, if not more, but at least 10 that were established. So why would John just choose, or Christ just choose seven by name? Well, there's not really any clear direct answer that we have. However, all seven of these churches, if you look on a biblical map that shows that particular territory, geographically, the seven churches are in a typical travel route that they had back then. And these cities and these churches in these cities would have been consistent in about a 90-mile radius, more of an elliptical circle in traveling to each one of these churches in ministry. In summary, Jesus praises two of the seven churches in this part of Revelation. He praises them and gives no rebuke. Two of the seven get all praise and no rebuke, no concern. But Jesus rebukes one church, particularly, with no praise at all. They get great condemnation. And then he commends and rebukes four of the seven churches. Today we're looking at one where he both commends and rebukes and challenges. Ephesus, one of those four. First, we're looking at some similarities. Similarities of Ephesus with Christ's community. How in the world can there be similarities between a church in the first century A.D. and Christ's community 2,000 years later? Good question. We're going to look at that right now. Ephesus, the city, was at this time the capital of the Roman province of Asia. Had approximately 200,000, 250,000 people living in it. That's a lot of people in that Roman province back then. Ephesus was a wealthy, prosperous, cosmopolitan city. You might even say it was a metro area of the Asian province, okay? They were well-connected to other regions and other cities in the Asia Minor area. And so, if you think about that in Ephesus, you've got to say, well, there are definitely some similarities there with Atlanta, with the metro area. Atlanta is the capital city of our state. It is a hub, not just of Georgia, but of pretty much the southeast. It's the largest populated metro area in the entire southeast. Everyone comes and goes through Atlanta for something in their business, it seems, all over the eastern half of the United States. Often, Atlanta, much like Ephesus, is that cosmopolitan, wealthy, prosperous, southern city that has much to boast about. Not just the city itself, but then the church in Ephesus. Similarities. 
You see, we live in this metro cosmopolitan city as they did the church there in Ephesus. And so we are part of this culture called Metro Atlanta. We're part. Many of you moved here because you wanted to be part of something like this. Some of you are trying to get away from here because you don't want to be part of something like this. But everyone still, you're part of where we are. You know what it's like when you, when you are with someone, you meet someone maybe new or, or even with your family that live in other parts of the, of the country, particularly people that live in maybe smaller towns and cities. I mean, they just can't understand what you experience living in a metropolitan area. It's just hard. You try to explain it and they just, it just doesn't connect. We have a distinctive culture that we must address. So did the church in Ephesus. And we live in that type of a culture. The church in Ephesus was likely at this time 35 to 40 years old in its establishment when John gave this vision, when Christ spoke to the church in Ephesus, which, if you think about it, was an entire generation, if not a little bit more, from when the church began in Ephesus. So an entire generation that had begun the church was no longer alive or probably not there now. So when Christ is addressing this church in Ephesus, he's addressing not those who planted Ephesus, probably. He's addressing those who now are at and in the body of the church in Ephesus, who do not have a history, a vantage point, a perspective, a reference point of what it was like to start that church 40 years ago. They don't have that. It's different for them. The children that are now grown in that community, if they are now in that church and their parents had been the beginning parts establishing that church, they don't have the same zeal. They don't have the same understanding that their parents did when they wanted to start this gospel ministry in Ephesus. They, didn't, they don't have that same perspective. It wasn't passed on to them in the same way. They don't have the same vision and zeal for the purpose and the mission of the gospel as their parents did who began Ephesus. How CCC like that? I mean, we're 13 years old. Some of those who have been here for a while, we have so many young children. They're not grown up yet. We haven't really been that long. That mean, we don't have a generation that's not in that way. I agree, we don't. But here's how we're similar. You gotta think with me. Here's how it's somewhat similar. Two-thirds of you, two-thirds of this church have been here less than five years. 2008 to 2013. Two-thirds of this church have only been here five years or less. One-third of this church currently, that is part of Christ's community, has been here less than three years, two, two and a half years, one-third of this church. One-fourth of our church, only one-fourth of those in this church now were here before 2005 and earlier in establishing the first five years of Christ's community, only a quarter. You see, most of you here were not part of Lewis Elementary. Those who know what I'm talking about, most of you here were not, were not part of my living room and my basement getting finished and us meeting in the basement and being there on 
9-11, Tuesday night, I'll never forget. That day, what happened, and that night, 20 people that were starting Christ Community met for our final meeting because we were going to launch our first worship service on the Sunday after a 9-11. 9-16, my wife's birthday, we started the first worship at Christ Community in Lewis Elementary. You see, you weren't there for that. I wish you were, because had you been, you'd feel differently about what you experience here now. I know you would, because I got chills just thinking about it right now. It's just a perspective that, that you can't have, but here's what can happen. You can ask God to give you that same heart, that same love and zeal that he gave those that started 13 years ago in Christ's community. John speaks to Ephesus, Christ speaks to Ephesus, and he gives some commendations, these similarities also with us. Commendations, verse 2, he says, I know your deeds, Ephesus, your hard work. The church is praised and commended for their hard work. That's so much like CCC. You haven't had a choice for over a decade now. You have to work hard if you're part of Christ Community Church. You can't just sit around and watch everyone work. It's just not something that's just possible because we all understand what the church is called to be, what we're called to do together. We're a mobile church, as we just talked about, almost 150 places to serve every month. Lots of needs, but also opportunities to minister, to love, to give to each other and to those who are coming in the front doors in our community. What opportunities we have. It takes 50 man hours every week just to be sure we have things done for worship to happen on a Sunday. Every week, 50 man hours. That's one full-time staff person that you provide with your service and work. That's a lot. We're not a church of 6,000. We're a small church that God is using in big ways and desires to even increase our ministry. Verse 2 and verse 6, the church was praised for its, if you read there, <clears throat> I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. In verse 6 he says, also you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans. You see, Nicolaitans were false teachers in John's day, real group of people, and among other schools of heretics that were known against the gospel. And Ephesus identified them, and they knew there was a false gospel, there was false teaching, and they definitely were on guard for that type of thing. That's so important. Christ's community, in many ways, very similar in that we've always had core values of biblical teaching of gospel-centered teaching, of grace-centered teaching, of having sound doctrine, which is so important even in our day with what is being said and what is being proclaimed in our world and in our culture. It's so important. We have that in common with Ephesus. They were commended for that and should be commended. We should, you should be commended for having that heart to wanting have, to have sound doctrine and 
biblical-centered teaching. Verse 3, the church is praised and commended for enduring and persevering and not growing weary. In verse 3, he says, you've persevered, you've endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. You know, we've been a mobile church now since we launched worship for over 12 years. We've been a mobile church. I'm sure it exists, but I do not know one other church planter, other, any other guy that has had to lead and establish a church plant for a mobile church for that long and it be sustained. I just don't know him. If you know him, let me know. I'd like to talk to him because we've got a lot to talk about. But I don't know. All the men that I started in my network in Metro Atlanta when I started Christ Community either have moved into a different uh, ministry, have left the ministry, or they have, God's used them to uh, establish a permanent facility, and they have that at this point, or have already had that. Everything, all kinds of things have happened to all the guys that started when I started, and there were many, and still are, and even since then, but I don't know one that has done this particular journey. And so, it's unique. You, perse- you are persevering. You are still enduring, and you are to be commended for that. You really are. I want to encourage you. There's no way this church can do and be what it is without you giving of your very heart, giving of your very selves. Commended for that. There's so much that God has used you in persevering through difficult things, ups and downs, blessings and challenges. I remember one year we, we had a and here at the community center, we've been here going on six or seven years. And I remember one particular Sunday we walked in and um, back there was a, basically a bar set up from the night before in the corner of this room right there. Just a huge bar, big wet bar, wide open, just ready to have cocktail hour and a whole thing. Uh, we had no idea there was going to be a big event like that the night before. And usually it's gone, but it was just right there. So I don't know if y'all remember that, but we've, we, we have shown up to this facility and at Bullard Elementary and Lewis Elementary, and we've had all kinds of things show up when we show up on Sunday mornings. And every single time, everyone that comes, especially those that come to deal with the setup, and help, just says, well, here's something new we never had before, and just takes it in stride and moves right along. I can't tell you how many times we have shown up, the worship team, the audio video team, and things absolutely don't work. Right, Josh? They just don't work. Or it, it, they just go, something's go wrong. When you've got to every single Sunday set up every technical piece of equipment and try to make it work, <laughs> every Sunday, you just don't know how hard that is. You look at every Sunday, oh, everything seems to be good to me. By God's grace, it's just amazing how you have persevered. You continue, and you need to be encouraged, commended, and thanked, and continue to be commended and thanked. God is blessing others through you, and you're giving of yourself. He is. Keep going. Keep serving. Keep loving, and keep trusting Christ at his word. John not only commends Ephesus, but he also shares a concern. I say the word concern, 
Other commentators would use the word condemnation. Now, we are not condemned, Romans 8, in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. But sometimes even the church and believers will do things that certainly displease Christ. And certainly the things they do are condemnable, though they themselves are not condemned. They are in Christ. I say this is a concern because to me, this is not a condemnation. If anything, I'm sharing this from my own personal testimony this morning. It's a concern. Verse 4 and 5, read with me. John, Christ says through the Apostle John, Yet I hold this against you, Jesus says. You've forsaken your first love. You know, the church in Ephesus had been established by the Apostle Paul, not John, in the same understanding, and others. And we know from Paul's letters particularly the letter Ephesians we have in the New Testament written to the church that the Ephesians at one time knew and deeply loved the Lord and understood God's love for them in a very real way as Paul established that church with them. Ephesians chapter 1, the letter begins as Paul writes to them, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. They knew of this love that the Apostle Paul spoke of. He again reminds them as he closes out the letter, Ephesians chapter 6, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love, an undying love. So we know from this letter when Paul's writing and they're established and in the early years of the church, we know that they knew the love of God. They knew what that relationship was like and had tasted of it and experienced it. But now, just a generation later, John shares his concern for them and reminds them of what they once had and how vital it is for them to recapture it. How vital it is to recapture their first love that Paul described to them. So important to recapture our first love. So how do you know if you are experiencing a first love loss. How do you know if maybe you are struggling with your first love loss? What are the symptoms, maybe, of what it looks like so you can look at your own heart, evaluate your own self, and see, where am I in my love for Christ? When I came to know you, Lord, it was like this. The first love relationship was like this, but now it's not the same. And it can't be the exactly the same. That's never, and it should never be an expectation. But yet, what maybe are symptoms of where we have floated towards, where we have deviated from? I thought about this in my preparation and some symptoms that I myself come in repentance of many of these areas in need of addressing symptoms, lack of possible true worship in our life, whether that's personal worship 
or corporate, being here, being really involved and giving yourself to worship when you're here and giving yourself to worshiping Christ when you're Monday through Saturday. Are you spending time with Him? Are you spending time in that love relationship? Or is just Sunday here at 1030 all you really have to experience that relationship? A lack of possibly feeding on God's Word. Is God's Word part of your life right now? You say, well, yeah, we just read. for No, much more than that. Is it part of your daily experience, regular, weekly? Do you, are you involved in the Word of God and letting it affect your very soul? Is it coming through your eyes and ears? I spoke with one person last week, and they said, yeah, I've read through the Bible about eight or ten times. I went, wow. That's awesome. And then come to find out, they listen to it on tape and they're driving at work. They, they drive for hours and hours at work and they listen to it on, on CD, the Bible. But they've heard it about eight or ten times the entire Bible. What a great idea. Instead of just wasting an hour and a half in traffic. So, are you feeding on God's Word? Is it really feeding you? Are you talking with God in prayer? Are you spending time with Him, communing with Him, talking with Him, sharing where you're, where you're struggling, what you need, what you feel about him, how he is in your life. A lack of possible true repentance over sin. Is there something maybe in your life right now you, you just know, I need to deal with that. I haven't really brought that before the Lord. I'm, I've kept it over here, but I need to bring it out. Because he knows, he knows it. You know he knows it. But he wants you to acknowledge it before him and give it to him. Confess it to him. You can't hold something back and expect to maintain a first love relationship. It will not be able to happen, ever. You've got to go ahead and cut out that thing that's festering. You've got to cut it out. A lack of possibly faith, growing faith, trusting God in all areas of life. Is there some area of life you're not trusting God in? Your finances, your job your career, your marriage, your children? Are you giving your children to the Lord regularly, trusting Him with their struggles? It's hard to deal with your own struggles, but if you have a child, whatever age, it's even harder to have to see their struggles happen. It's just, but are you, that's why we have to give those over and trust God. If we're holding those back, we're not going to have the first love experience again. A lack of loving and serving the body of Christ. Another symptom, a lack of forgiveness, extending grace to others. Is there something that's happened in your relationships with someone in your life? Believer, unbeliever, whoever. And you just haven't forgiven. You keep holding it against them. You won't let forgiveness pour through your heart. Are you struggling with extending grace to someone who just rubs you the wrong way? You just, they irk you every time you seem to be around them. You need to extend grace to that person. Whoever it is, extend the grace of Christ. Another symptom might be a lack of generosity. Whether our talents, our treasures, our time, are we extending them? If we are, we're experiencing Christ's love. And then lastly, a lack of concern. 
a lack of concern, a lack of awareness, a lack of desire to move towards with great fervor the least and the lost. If we don't have a heart for the least and the lost, we don't know what our first love really is like. When you first came to Christ, didn't you want just to share with everybody, scream it from the mountaintops? I was in a um, kind of an experience where I went to like a Billy Graham crusade. It was another gentleman that was preaching and I was about nine years old. And even though my mom says I prayed with her when I was very young, I experienced, I believe, a conversion at that age. The next day, the next morning, it happened to be, it was a Friday night, so on a Saturday, I was just, it was just time to go out and play on a Saturday. So I went outside, went over to my neighbor, knocked on his door. He came out, I said, are you saved? I was nine years old. Are you saved? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, let me tell you what it means. He's like, okay. I said, sit down. He sat down. I sat down. Time I explained line by line what the counselor explained to me and shared with me when I prayed with that counselor to receive Christ. I, and he said, I said, do you understand everything I've just said? He goes, I think so. I go, do you want to pray right now? He goes, okay. I said, let's pray. And I prayed. I said, you repeat after me. I have no idea what happened to that young boy's soul. I don't know if God saved him that moment. Maybe he did. It, it's in God's hands. But here's the thing. I could not keep it to myself. I had to go right next door. I had to share it. It's something you have to give away. The love of Christ. You have to give it away. You have to. Thirteen years ago this week, I moved to Ackworth to plant a new church. All kinds of visions and ideas of what God was going to do for the next decades. I moved my wife and three infants, one-year-olds, to Ackworth. In fact, I had to get here first for two weeks, get the house baby-proofed while they were in Tennessee with family. And then they came and we moved in. I left a church that at that time was named among the top ten churches in the United States for ministry, vision, and innovation. We had deep, close friendships, deep to this day, every year, we still get together with a certain number of those friends for a dinner on an annual basis because those are deep. You know those kind of relationships? We had those. We chose to leave those. We had all the resources to serve the Lord as we wanted or needed in that church. It was a wonderful place to be. We had just been blessed with our three children in a single year and had a very safe, secure community and support base to raise our children for the next rest of our life. It was nirvana for us to be serving as a pastor there. Why in the world would I leave? Why would I leave? Why risk everything? And I mean, it was all because it wasn't about us. It wasn't about our American dream, what we wanted to have in our life. It wasn't about our security, and it wasn't about our desires. Since we were teenagers, Charlotte and I have known the love of Jesus all of our life, and we want to follow him at any cost. Di we did that before coming to Atlanta in our marriage, in our early years, and we continue 
to do so. We have experienced God's redeeming love for our lives, and we want to give our lives to share that good news with others. Let me ask you, before Christ Community, how many of you have ever been part of a church where the founding pastor was there who started the church? Raise your hand if you've been before Christ Community, you were part of a church where the pastor of that church started that church. Let me see the hands. Okay, several. But many of you haven't. Did you ever ask him the question, why did you plant this church? Did you ever ask that pastor that question? Feel free to ask me anytime. I'm here, and this is the church that you're hearing this. Ask me the question, why did you plant this church? I'll go ahead and tell you right now, but you can ask me more later. Christ community started for a reason. It was to see, and it is, to see Jesus change people's lives. People who don't know Jesus and people who do. Both. God didn't call myself and those who started Christ Community to plant a church to shuffle people from other churches. If, this is not a really welcoming message if you're visiting today. <laughs> I apologize about that. He didn't call us to shuffle people. That's not why he planted this church. If though you need a spiritual home, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. But he's called us together to reach a lost nation a lost people, those who have yet been called into the family of God. It's our lost brothers and sisters that just don't know it yet. And we've been called to reach them. That's why this church began. Our first love has always been about Jesus, knowing, worshiping, and sharing that. When you have that first love relationship with Christ, you just have to share it. Ever been to a wedding? And you have the groom and the bride, and they're up there, and it comes time for the vows. And maybe the microphone system's not that great, and wherever the wedding's being done, or you just can't quite hear, but still. And then they give their vows, and you're like, I mean, you can barely hear the person saying their vows, stating what it is they're making a commitment to, what it is they value, what they love so much, the person they love so much. If you were to watch our wedding video, which I don't know if we have any more or if it was any, but I almost yelled my wedding vows. I said them so loudly and clearly because I wanted everyone to, to know what I truly who I truly loved and who I truly committed myself to. I absolutely had to speak that way. I could not keep it, contain it. That's how it is with our hearts. So finally, finding our first love, and this is the final thought. Verse 5, John says, remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. And that's what we're called to do, is to consider and remember what those things in our life were like when we first loved Christ and he first loved us. Here's the key, though. Here's the key. If we are ever to revive and maintain our first love, we have to understand how to rightly experience that first love. Two truths, and I'll close with these two thoughts, these two thoughts, two truths about how to rightly experience the first love relationship. First, it's this. 
both the love that we have for, for Christ now and where and the love we had back then, it did not come from you. Your love for Christ, it came from him. It was a gift to you. It came from God himself. He gave you the love for himself. You didn't have it. He gave you that love back then. You experienced the first love because he gave it to you. And you experience it now because he continues to give it to you. First John, John writes these words, And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We love, why? Because he first loved us. You've got to know that. You see, this is not something you can muster up. You can kind of dig down deeper and I'll get it up. You, you can't. God loved you first. He gave you this love. He gives you this very love. And then secondly, we have to understand what this rebuke really means. Finding your first love, what does it really mean? I never had a reason. I've never had a reason to be jealous of my wife. 25 years, 30 years now. Never had a reason in our married life. But one time when we were in college and dating, there was one experience where I became very jealous. You see, we were in a season of struggling in our relationship at that point, and we were kind of like going our own ways, just to make it clear, the environment that this happened. But I remember going to the library one evening in that state of our relationship at that point, and for the first time ever since high school, I saw her on a date with another guy going to get ice cream at the soda fountain or whatever. Well... I can't describe what happened, but within me, it never happened before, the way I felt about that. I couldn't contain it, and it just started to just well up within me, this jealousy. I just was like, not on my watch. This is not going to happen. And so I went to her, and I shared what I was feeling, and I shared what I was struggling with. And, uh, and that was a significant turning point in our relationship because I had never really expressed those types of things to her. Think about it now. Think about it. Why would Jesus hear through, the, through, through John these words to Ephesus? Why would he really want us to never forsake our first love? Why would he never want you to forsake your first love, who is he? Think about it. He's jealous for your love. That's why. And his jealousy is not like mine. His jealousy is holy. It's pure. It's unmatched. It's amazing. He has a jealousy for you. He pursues you with that jealousy, and he loves you with that jealousy. Why would Jesus want us to never forsake? Because he's jealous for our love for him, and he wants to be the focus of your affections. He wants to be the center of your affections. Not something else. Not someone else. He wants that sole place. Second Corinthians. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. 
Jesus has a holy jealousy for you. And he is pursuing you and he wants you to have that first love relationship with him. And he wants you to share that same love that he gives you for all eternity.